going to talk about using our gifts, spiritual gifts, to build part, as part of this gathering to build one another up. Now, let me say a few things at the onset. It might be helpful, uh, helpful to you to know my background. I come from a background. Um, I was raised in churches that did not embrace the gifts of the Spirit. I come from a cessationist background, if you, if you use the word. Um, in my mind, I was raised to believe that as a Christian, you either read your Bible and believe it, or you believe in the spiritual gifts, uh, which, which, is, which is a false dichotomy, but that's, that's largely how I was raised. So I come from a more uh, conservative cessationist setting, so all of that to say, um, and, and this is not a class about pneumatology or about the spiritual gifts uh, overall. Um, however, we're going to touch on it today, and it might spark some good conversation or questions in your mind. I'm not sure where all of you are, are at uh, on the issue, um, but I'm going to try to be very true to Scripture, and I'm going to try to keep us on track because I understand this conversation can go a lot of ways. Um, this is the sort of thing that I'm also happy to talk about more um, afterward or, you know, dur during a meal or something like that. Um, and I understand, I'll be the first to say, I understand that many, I will use the word, horrible things have happened in the name of, falsely in the name of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. People have used the gifts of the Spirit in a way, to, in, in, a, in a fraudulent or a fake way. They have used them to manipulate, they've used them for personal gain, especially financially. I understand all of that. Um, uh, the word we use is charlatans. There are charlatans out there who would claim to have the power of the spirit for their own personal benefit, and that is wicked. And we are the first to uh, to condemn that and say that that's that's wrong. However, I am also a convinced continuationist, and the only reason. Not the first reason I am a convinced continuationist is because of what Scripture says. Um, since asking God and pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, He has blessed that. I have I have many stories and experiences I could tell you, but my experiences are not the foundation of my doctrine. Scripture is the foundation of my doctrine. And if someone were to show me that one secret verse that I've never read before today that said, Oh, the gifts of the Spirit cease when the last apostle died. If someone were to show me that today, I would say, oh, it's in, it's in Scripture. Uh, I've not found that verse. I'm unaware of it. Um, so with all that said, I'm, um, I want to go into this conversation. Uh, let, let, feel free to ask questions along the way. If the questions you ask are, are helpful to getting through this discussion, we'll, we'll certainly stop and talk about it. If they're better to talk about um, afterward, that's fine too. But let, let me just start this way. I'm going to have several of you read. And um, I think I have all, do I have all of these passages printed for you? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. Okay, would somebody please read Romans 12, 3 through 8?
Thank you so much. Would somebody please read 1 Corinthians 12, verses um, 4 through 7. Thank you. Um, would somebody please read the next passage from 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Excellent. And lastly, Ephesians 4.29. So if you noticed, in those passages, I highlighted, I, I made bold certain phrases. Um, so what, what I'm, my purpose here is not to talk about the details of what are all of the different gifts, what is the difference between a, you know, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and a, and a prophecy, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually not my point. I'm going to, what I'm, as they say, I'm going to be speaking much more at the 30,000 foot level, big picture. And so here are some things I want to point out to you. Um, several things that these passages have in common. Well, the big, you may have noticed, if you look at the words in bold, what do these passages have in common? Let me just ask you. Yes. Um, let us use them in Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12. These are used for the common good. 1 Peter 4. Uh, you have a gift, use it to serve one another. Ephesians 4, we use our gifts to build up, speak using our words specifically, and to give grace to those who hear. And here, here's why, I realize that was a lot of passages, and here's why, um, here's why I share those. If someone is going to believe and embrace what the Bible teaches about the gifts of the Spirit, they need to be ready to celebrate not just one or two or maybe three gifts of the Spirit, but the broad work of the Spirit. The Spirit does so much. He does so much. What is the biggest miracle, I'll use the word miracle, what is the biggest miracle that the Spirit of God accomplishes in people? Regeneration. Regeneration is, is to, to take a dead thing and give it life. Um, every time someone comes to faith in Christ, it's, it's, a, it's a resurrection. A dead, a dead thing has come to life. That is the biggest miracle that the Spirit of God accomplishes. Now, without getting into the weeds, as they say, about the details of specific gifts, what, whatever you believe about the gifts of the Spirit, one thing is clear. You should use it. 
whatever gift or gifts the Spirit of God has given to you, you should use it. I think that everyone, wherever they are at on the spectrum of what they believe about specific gifts or how they are expressed, one thing that is abundantly clear from these passages is that the Spirit of God builds a church together and He equips every person in that church uniquely and however He has equipped you, you are meant to use it for the, serv- for the service of the entire body. Um, it does not make sense for a Christian to join a church and to not participate in some way. Do you understand? And again, I'm not even talking about the details of specific gifts. What I am telling you is that the Spirit of God has given each of you, given each of us, something that is meant to be used in a local church, which I think is something every Christian would agree with, uh, regardless of the conversation of what these gifts are or might look like. I put it I put it to people this way because again we we push back we need to push back against the consumer mentality I come to church only to receive and I tell people no I tell people if the Bible is true you have something that this church needs we need to think about it that way God has put something in you that the saints in this church they need that you are meant to use what the Spirit has put in you to build up this body whatever that might be. And we'll talk about that a little bit more um, specifically in just a moment. I want to focus in primary. So, well, so let me give an example. And again, anytime someone even uses the, 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 the phrase spiritual gifts, our minds go automatically to just a few of them, don't they? Because it has been such a controversial issue. Our minds go straight to uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues and healing. When the work of the Spirit is so much more broad than that. Um, The gifts that are listed, administration, teaching, helping. If I'm going to to embrace the gifts of the Spirit on a Sunday, I need to celebrate all of these gifts equally. So, let me me put it this way. (coughs) All of the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. I've heard people try to divide the gifts into categories. The, the natural gifts of the spirit and the supernatural. I say no. If they come from God to a person who used to be spiritually dead, they are all supernatural. That means that when my friend Ethan uh, shows up every single Sunday without being asked, and he serves the church by saying, I will be the last one out the door. I will make sure this room is clean. I will make sure everything is put back in order, and I ask for nothing in return. I ask for no praise, and he just does it silently, and he is serving the church in that way. I say, that is the Spirit of God working through Ethan. In other words, he wouldn't do that if God were not in him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? That is an expression of the Spirit of God, which uh, Paul tells us, what are the spiritual gifts? They are a manifestation of God. There's something we can look at tangibly and say, God is doing that. And it's not all big, wow, amazing moments. It's done through consistent faithfulness. The person who has an encouraging word, the, 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 uh, the woman who stands at the door of the church and greets people with a smile every Sunday. I put it this way. Anytime a human being makes what I would call a heavenward movement, they do something that points people toward God, they, they, don't, they don't do that of their own natural inclinations and abilities. They do that because the Spirit of God lives in them. And if we're going to talk about and celebrate the gifts of the Spirit, 
we have to be fair to every gift of the Spirit. Every moment that someone helps or administers or shows mercy or hospitality, these are all supernatural works of the Spirit. And I think that one reason, and it's fair, one reason that, um, one reason that Pentecostal or charismatic churches are looked down upon, and again, this is fair, is because they highlight certain gifts. And they take just a few gifts and say, this is it. This is, well, this is where the Spirit of God moves. But they give, they give no attention to the, the many other ways that the Spirit of God moves among people. And I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. I think that um, within sovereign grace, we, are, we, we confess we are continuationists. We believe the Spirit of God still works among his people, as he did in the early church. But if we're going to be consistent, we need to celebrate all of it. All of it. And so um, when someone shares a timely scripture, hey, brother, I was thinking about you this morning. I was praying. God brought you to mind. I want to share this with you. Hope it encourages you and builds you up. I'm going to celebrate that as a work of the Spirit. Um, it's not all people growing limbs back and, and, and um, you know, amazing. Now, we have had miraculous healings in our church. We have. I could tell you stories. There is no other explanation. Um, we've had people being rushed into the ER because they were dying, and they arrive at the ER, and they're absolutely fine. I'm not lying to you. I, uh, we could all, we could, many of us could probably all tell amazing stories, but, um, and that's a deeper conversation. But what I want us to hear, this is the big picture of what I want us to hear. If what the Bible says is true, you all have something that the Spirit of God has put in you that is meant to be used to benefit the church. You do. Whatever that might be, none of us, none of us can just sit in the back row and do nothing. Um, and and I, don't, I don't just mean on the Sunday gathering, because not everybody's going to be on the music team, not everybody's going to be on the, uh, doing tech, not everybody, but I'm saying in the, in the entire life of the church, we're all meant to build each other up. Look at that, look at that Ephesians 4 passage. This is, a, this is astounding to me. Well, the first Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. Look at first Peter 4 first. As each has received a gift, use it. There's a command from the mouth of God. Use your gift. Can't try to argue with that. You can't. Use your gift to serve one another. In other words, it's not about you, which is, an, again, let me pause. That's another place that Pentecostal churches get in trouble. They make the gifts all about me. No, no, no. Your gifts are meant to serve one another. As good stewards of God's what? His, gra his grace. Okay, look at Ephesians 4. Um, when you speak, you speak to build up as fits the occasion that it may give what? Grace to those who hear. So let, let me put this in very simple terms. And then for me, th this blew my mind. If what these passages say is true, when I speak to you as a Christian to a Christian, and when I use my gifts to serve you, I want you to think about this. It is actually one way that God is giving grace to you. I want you to think about it like a pipeline or like, or like copper, like channeling electricity. We are meant to be a means of grace to each other. Every time we open our mouths, every time we use our gifts to serve. In other words, people come to church, you know, when we ask the question, how, how are you built up? Well, God builds us up, you know, through reading the word, through prayer, through the Lord's Supper. Yes, yes, yes. These are all what we would call a means of grace to us. But let me tell you something else. When you pray for, when you come and pray for me, 
or you encourage me, God is actually building me up through you. You are the conduit of grace. When I use my gifting to build you up, you are actually receiving God's grace through me. I mean, to to me, this was a mind-blowing concept. But we are stewarding God's grace. God intends for us to use our gifts to each other in a way that actually builds each other up in his grace. For me, this really changed the way I thought about how I use my words. This, This means that every time I open my mouth to speak to you, I can either build you up and give you more grace or not. That's my choice. I can use my words in a way that give you God's grace, or I can use my words in a way that tear you down. That is a heavy responsibility. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So I I want you to, so I want to boil it down to something very practical. When you are with the the saints, when you are gathered, well here in the classroom certainly, but gathered on Sunday, your words, one of the ways that your brothers and sisters are going to leave more like Jesus than when they came in, one of the ways that's going to happen is through the words that you say to them. I want, I want you to think about it that practically. Our words are meant to be a means of grace to each other. Our actions in using our gifts are meant to be a means of grace to each other. That, those aren't, that's not empty. I mean, who, who, who needs more of God's grace? <laughs> okay? One of the ways we get that is when you say to you, you know, brother, how can I pray for you today? Let me encourage you in your faith today. I've, I've seen you grow in this area today. I want to tell you how encouraged I am. You know, these sorts of things. These things are not irrelevant. They matter. And so, and again, without getting too deep into the conversation about the details of spiritual gifts, the point is that whether we're just using our words to speak to each other or using the gifts that God has given to us to, to, to use to serve each other, it's a mechanism that God has chosen to grow us more into the image of Christ. In other words, it matters. You have, you have been given something powerful, friends, something powerful. You have the ability to help your brothers get closer to God. I'm, I'm in as many ways as I can to help you understand this. That's the weight of your words and the weight of the gifts that God has put in you by his spirit. And I think not enough attention is given to this when I, when I just consider books that are written, etc. The church itself, all of you people, the church itself is meant to be one way that God uses. If, if you imagine, if you imagine a, a huge bucket and there are multiple pipes coming from different directions that are pouring water into it, one of them is the word of God, one of them is uh, prayer. One of those pipes that's pouring grace into the bucket is the actual people of the church. So, am I, am I making, we use the expression, beating a dead horse. Use this expression, do you know this one? Yeah, it's like you're beating it, the horse is already dead. Stop beating it, is the point. But I'm beating a dead horse here, meaning I'm, try, I'm saying it as many ways as I can to, to try to emphasize the point that w- especially when we gather on Sunday, the words you speak to each other and you using your gifting, whatever that might look like, to build each other up, it is not irrelevant. It matters. You are, th- God intends for you to do that. If you are a biblically obedient Christian, you will walk into Sunday thinking, how can I build up these people with my words 
and with my gifts might be an act of service or something else. But it's meant to actually make this body stronger. So God uses us to give grace to each other. That's my point. So what does this look like on a Sunday? And again, how is this, what does this have to do with, with the gospel? It's an application of the gospel. Um, the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost as a result of the finished work of Jesus. Jesus promised, I'm going to send you a helper, and he did that. Wait in Jerusalem until he comes. Here comes the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. Um, he's still here. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote a, an excellent book called Showing the Spirit, and he's, he had a phrase in there that was really helpful to me. He said, the Spirit of God did not just introduce the church age. The Spirit of God characterizes the church age. He, he, he is one of the defining traits of the church. He is still here. He is still working among his people. So what might this mean? This means all of us have this responsibility. Again, not even going into the details of where we are all at in our personal convictions about, about the work of the Spirit. Um, because I think this is something I've had to learn. To be fair to cessationists, people who Nobody believes that all of the gifts of the Spirit has, have ceased. I, I, nobody is saying that. Cessationists specifically are saying that some of them have. That, that, that's my understanding. Because nobody's going to argue that teaching has ceased. <laughs> At least I hope not, because you know, I'm up here. you know. Um, but they would say, no, we believe that some of them have. Okay, my purpose here is not to address that in detail, although I'm happy to talk about it later as someone who used to be a cessationist. But, um, but my point is this. Wherever you are at, you should be asking the question and asking your pastors, um, pastor, you know, leader, community group leader, whatever, what opportunities are there for me to serve this body and to use my giftings? We, we should all be asking that question. Um, not just to keep us busy, but because the Bible says that everybody around you needs you to do that. Everyone around you needs the grace from God through you, through your acts of service and through your words. So we all should be asking the question, um, what has God given to me that I can use to build these people up? We should all be asking that question. And it, and it, is, it is glorious. I don't think glorious is too strong a word. It is glorious when the people of the church ask that question honestly. What has God put in me that I can use to serve others? And they go do it. Um, I can't tell you, let me give you an example, how much it warms my heart and gives me joy um, when somebody in the church, without being asked, nobody asked them, you know, I didn't have to go to them and, and ask them to do it. They see something that needs to be done and they just go do it. And they do it without complaining and they don't ask for any recognition or any reward. That, that, that's, that's exactly how it should be. Um, you know, a, a woman um, in the church has a baby, for example, and some other women in the church, without being asked, they put together a plan to provide meals for her for the next two weeks so she doesn't have to cook. Simple things like that. When, when people just, they see the need, oh, I can do this, and they just go do it. That's wonderful. That's glorious. Sure. That's a good question. What about gifts that aren't specifically mentioned? First of all, I think that when the Bible talks about service, I think that's a really broad category. So, for example, someone can maybe serve their church through using their natural ability to sing or whatever. So maybe I would put that under the category of, of service. Um, 
other than, other than that. If, and it gets into a, a deeper question of, oh, what is the difference between a spiritual gift and, and just like a, a natural talent? It, it, begs, it, it gets into that. That's a good question. That's one that we're not going to even try to answer here because that's a much longer discussion. Either way, it's from God because God knit us together in our mother's womb, right? He made us very intentionally. So either way, it is from God. Whereas before, when I wasn't a Christian, I might have been a good singer, for example. But now I am a Christian, so I am taking that and redeeming it for God's glory. Spiritual gifts do seem to be mentioning things more specific, something that you did not have before that God put in you. It does, that is the way it's worded. It does seem to be that way. So if someone is coming and saying, I have this gift of the Spirit, but it's not something that Scripture talks about, I would at least want to pause and say, can we look at the Bible together? And, and maybe, maybe you do have a good natural ability that we, do, we want to use to serve the church, but I think we just need to be honest about what it is, because I don't, I don't think that everything is a spiritual gift. I do think um, that a lot happens, that the Holy Spirit initiates and instigates, um, that we can call the broad work of the Spirit without necessarily being a spiritual gift. That's a good question, and it's a nuanced question. Yeah, we should talk about it more. I th you're always, anytime, when in doubt, open your Bible, I guess I would say, is the short answer. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I th I th yeah, I th thank you for pointing that out. I think you're right, and I think that when the Bible does give us several lists of gifts of the Spirit, it's not those are not necessarily the complete list. I, I think what you're saying is more accurate, that um, the Spirit empowers a lot of activities and a lot of people. I think we're given good examples and good lists in Scripture um, of categories to think through, but not necessarily. And, and again, we all have different contexts, too. So, or at least I, I do from you all, especially. So thinking through, someone has this ability or gift, how can we use this to serve the church? That's a good thing to think through. And it might, look, it might look different where I'm at than where you're at. This is why every church is built a little differently. It is a broad conversation. And it's one I actually, I actually love having. Um, let me just, yeah. right that's a good point excellent point whether it's oh go ahead I'm sorry Exodus 35 yeah yeah the spirit of God put that in them interesting um, this this leather work is amazing and um, did some, I mean, and I don't, I don't know the, the man who made them, but he had to work at that. I mean, he had to take it, which is another aspect of the spiritual gifts. We are meant to practice them and cultivate them and grow in them. Um, but that God obviously put some art, great artistic ability. Yeah, I heard that as well. Yeah, that's excellent. That's great. Um, whether it's speech, acts of service, prayer, administration, helping, generosity, hospitality, uh, my encouragement to you all, and e even if you are still in the process of thinking through what do I believe about the details of the gifts of the Spirit, I hope that if nothing else, you are eager 
to see and celebrate the broad work of the Spirit uh, within the church. And this, I'm telling, let me tell you just from experience, this will encourage your people in the church. Um, you, you never want to put anybody on the spot or embarrass somebody, but let me give you an example. We, um, if you have someone who's been faithfully uh, using their giftings and abilities for years, it's okay, and I would, I would usually get the permission, but I mean, point that out. Not, not to say, isn't this person amazing, but the expression we use a lot in Sovereign Grace is we want to celebrate evidences of grace. Um, look at what God has done through the consistency of this person. Like, isn't that excellent? You know, um, women who volunteer in the nursery. I mean, that, that's what a huge service. Celebrating that. Celebrating people who are setting up and tearing down. Celebrating the people who are, who are you know, making meals and who are doing simple, faithful tasks. We should be quick as shepherds to celebrate the broad work. In other words, if, when someone is doing something that they would not be doing if the Spirit of God was absent, we want to point that out and say, God's doing that. God's doing that. Praise God. We want to we thank Him and praise Him for what He's doing through this person. This person is a means of God's grace to us. Thank you, Lord. And that will, encur that will encourage that person as well. Um, yeah, that's my bottom line. Any heavenward movement is attributed to the Spirit's presence and work and should be pointed out that God might receive glory as his people are built up. So um, we're all meant to participate is my bottom line. You need to discern what the best way for you to participate is. You use your church leaders to help you identify that, but we are all meant to participate. That, that's, I guess, my big, my big takeaway. Um, if this was a class on pneumatology in a more detailed way, we would, we would go into detail about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and again, we can do that. What, 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 we're, what we're going to do, so that we're, we're essentially finished with um, the Sunday gathering section of our class. But our next session, at the end of each, so Sunday gathering, um, discipleship, and outreach, at the end of each of those, I've built in just a, a, a 45 minutes of question and answer. So if there's some stuff, and we'll do that. We're going to break for lunch shortly. But, um, uh, we could t but we could take even just a couple questions now. Is there anything you guys want to ask or talk about regarding this, regarding the church participating um, as a means to build up one another in God's grace? Do you guys have any thoughts or any questions? How, what, what are good and thoughtful ways to create room for women to serve on Sunday, yeah? Now, um, different churches will have different answers. Um, within Sovereign Grace, you will fi generally find the same answers. We are complementarian, meaning uh, we understand that the Bible has specific instructions for the roles of men and women, both in the church and in the home. Um, that men and women were, are equal in our image of God, equal in dignity, but that God has specific roles for us. So let me, let me just speak personally from our experience. One thing we have done when we, first of all, we tell everyone they should be praying for each other. So after, after church, we tell people, hey, before you leave, would you please find, just, uh, would you please pray for someone? Uh, uh, just another brother or sister in the church. Find them and, and, and ask them what the best way to pray for them is and do that. Um, we encourage people to do that. We have had, or we do have, when we do our, our Old and New Testament scripture reading, we let members of the church sign up to do that. And we allow women to do that. Some churches would disagree, but it's not 
we're not asking them to teach. They're not reading the text and then giving like an exhortation. They're just literally, our New Testament reading today is Romans 7 verse 1. And then they'll read the passage. This is the word of God. And they'll go sit down. So we have allowed that to happen because it doesn't fall under the category of teaching. They're simply just reading the word out loud. Um, that's one thing we've done. Um, we do have women on our music team as well. Um, we have a man, two different men who, who lead the music and who lead the music team, but we have women who are, who are helping, and whether by singing or playing piano, et cetera, on the music team. Um, we, have a, we have an organized women's ministry at our church, so often um, if there's a women's event that's coming up or something, uh, the woman who's coordinating it will come up front and make the announcement to the women and show that, you know, inform them about it and tell them where they can sign up, et cetera. That's typically what that has looked like for us. Any t- what we guard very closely is, is any, any, anything that's teaching and anything that could be interpreted as exercising authority. We've, um, we've been very careful to guard that um, in obedience to 1 Timothy 2 um, and reserve that for broadly the elders of the church and, and occasionally other men who are maybe in like elder development, that sort of thing. We used, the way we used to do prayer was we would have people sign up to do that as well. We would let members of the church sign up to pray. And then we changed that because we couldn't get enough people to sign up consistently. So we were always asking people the morning of, and I said, you know what, let's just turn this into a pastoral prayer. Um, My, the, the, the big picture is that whatever you allow people to do on Sunday, you need to be able to give a reason why. Um, so I think of prayer, for example. Is prayer, what is, what is it? Um, is it leading? You could make the case that it, it is leading. You're leading the church in prayer, so who should be leading? It begs that question. So, so for example, like, um, would, we, would we want a woman to be leading the church? Um, I think biblically, no, probably not. But at the same time, I don't want a, a man who's a dirtbag to be leading the church either. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, uh, so in other words, I, we wouldn't say, oh, you're a man. Yeah, no problem. Come up, come up front and, and, and do whatever you want just because you're the right gender. And, and you didn't say that. I'm, I'm drawing a caricature on, person, on purpose. Um, so there's this great, so in terms of who's going to be leading anything from up front, whether it's the music or prayer or scripture reading, yeah, we want to be very intentional about that and think through, is this person exercising authority in any regard? Because if they are exercising authority, not only should it not be a woman, it, it shouldn't be a man. Who, a certain, it should only be certain men, is what I mean, um, who are in leadership or I think being developed for leadership, not just, you know, oh, here's a new guy in church. Oh, you're a man. Why don't you come up front and do this? Ah, I, th- I, think, I think we need to think through it more carefully than that. Because there are some men, let's be honest, there are a lot of women in our churches who are more godly than some of the men in our churches. I mean, that's, just, that's true. And so, in other words, we, if we were to reduce it simply to gender, well, you're a man, so you can be up front leading, um, yeah, I would be slower than that. So I would, while I do think that if it's leading, it needs to be a man in general, I think it, even more specific, it needs to be specific men. So, what, like, so at our church, for example, I would be comfortable with one of the elders also be comfortable with one of our community group leaders because our community group leaders which are our groups of like 8 to 14 people 
and they're, they're each led, those are kind of like, um, we, we are looking to those men to be our next elders. So they're kind of, they're being developed into leaders. So we would allow them to, to come forward and lead and things like that as well. Um, this is, yeah, this is where you get into a lot of detail about who should do what from up front. And churches have come to different conclusions. Another example, even within Sovereign Grace, churches are allowed to have variance between whether or not they would have um, uh, deaconesses, you know, you know, uh, women as, as deacons, or I, you know, deaconesses, because I, I think deacons are men, and if you're going to have women doing that, they're, they're not deacons, they're deaconesses, that's my opinion, uh, that's how I understand, anyway, so, um, so there's some variance even there. If it were, if it, my short answer, if, if it were, was me, if there's someone who's going to be up front leading in any capacity, I would want it to be someone who's already leading in the church in some way, whether that be as an elder or probably a community group leader. That, that's, that's me. There's room for some discussion on that, I think. I don't, I, you know, I'm really slow to come, you know, to say there are certain things that we just should not be doing, and, uh, um, but a lot of gray area as well, I think. So are you asking if there is someone who is born as a woman but becomes a man, notice my scare quotes because you can't actually change gender. Um, in other words, if they want to be a man now and they come to the church, would I consider them for eldership? Is that what you're asking? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I, um, no, I, I, uh, I, would, I wouldn't. Um, I would want to minister to that person the best I could. I think we would welcome, we'd welcome them. I, but even, you know, honestly, even that person would not even be permitted to become a member of the church based on how our um, doctrine is written. Because you, you need to sign off on our doctrinal stance to be a member of the church. And we clearly say that we believe that God made two genders, and you need to stick with the one that he gave you. And um, I see what you're saying. Oh, that's, an in, that's a really interesting question. So in other words, if a, someone born a man wants to try being a woman for a while, and, but then comes to, comes to faith and repents, and essentially em, embraces, again, the, the, origin, the gender God gave them. But, they, but they've had some irreversible stuff done to their body. In other words, that's a really interesting question. I think that that person, I think he is still fundamentally a man. Because there is more to being a man than just um, our parts, <laughs> if that, right? Um, if God makes you a man, he makes all of you a man. If he makes you a woman, you are totally a woman. So even if, if the guy has made some really foolish choices, say, I mean, say he had actually had a gender reassignment surgery, like this guy's never going to, um, he's never going to have kids, right? Maybe he's an Ethiopian eunuch, I don't know. <laughs> but but it but if but he still he is still fundamentally a man I think so uh, if that makes sense and so I think and I've and I've honestly I've never give me some grace here because I have never thought about this question so right now but I think I think I have room in my understanding of the image of God and in my understanding of repentance and forgiveness. I think I would have room to, to entertain that idea um, um, that this guy could potentially serve as an, as an elder of the church. If, if murderers and thieves and adulterers can, can be restored and, and understanding this guy will receive a new body one day like the rest of us, 
yeah, I, I, I have room for that. I think it would need to be a very careful and a very um, well-thought-out situation. But, but I guess what I would boil it down to is, um, and I don't, I don't say this to be crass, but there, there is more to his manhood than just his, just, than just his genitals, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, that's a great question, yeah. Yeah, at first I just thought you were asking, hey, would you make a trans person an elder? And I'm like, no, I would not. Okay, but I understand, that, I understand your question. It's a good one. Sending a woman as a missionary. Um, you all probably understand better that, than I do that there are certain contexts in which it needs to be a woman going as a missionary. Um, let me give you one example. We have a... We have a relatively large number of international students in Bozeman who go to the university, and the majority of them, the majority of them coming from Muslim countries are men, but a lot of them are bringing wives with them, and, the, and these wives, they sit in the apartment all day. They're, they're not leaving. They're not, they, you know, they're not going out and speaking with other men in conversation. That would be, you know, that's um, not a good idea for them. And what, what we realized is there's this whole community of Muslim women in Bozeman that nobody is reaching. And so we have started sending our wives um, to befriend them, to have play dates with children, to teach them how to cook American food, things like that. This is something I could not do <laughs> and should not do. I could not go in and accomplish that. So, so I guess the easiest answer is there are, there are certain settings in which I think it can only be a woman, it, 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 especially at first. Like they're, they're going to make progress where I could not, especially with other women. Um, that's, that's the easy answer. I don't know that I would send a single woman to go like plant and pastor a church. I, 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 you know, in, in a new area, I don't believe I would do that. I would need to, and, but, I, but I also understand that it's when there's a place where the gospel has not gone yet. My, my father has an expression, you need to go with the goers. In other words, Sometimes you only have certain people who are willing to go to start something new. So I think that's a good consideration as well. But kind of like we talked about yesterday with church leadership, I think, I think the goal needs to always be we want to, this is a new place where there is no gospel presence. We need to work toward a biblical church with biblical leadership. Maybe it doesn't look like that right away. 